What I've noticed about mothers, another generalisation, yeah. every day they get up and they're pouring from an empty cup. What does that mean? They get up, they're exhausted. Their yeah. fuel tank is on about zero or, you know, lower. Then they give, give, give to their family, their children. They give, give, give. There's no energy, there's no love left for them. What do they need to do to start filling the cup? I think they need to just sit down, be still, and pay attention to themselves. Wow, okay. There's magic in that, you know. Around the table, around the table, if someone came to any one of us and said, help me, please, help me, please, define my purpose, what is the question we would ask them that might be of assistance to them so that they can identify purpose? Chipster? Uh, I, what are your values? Yeah, you bugger, mate. That was bloody mine, mate. Because it's <laughs> it, that's it. That is it. I, I really think this is one of those extremely simple yeah. answers. Yeah. Simple question, simple answer. Explain, please, why you think that's such a crucial question. Uh, because you your purpose grows directly out of your values. What do you value in life? Your values will tell you what actions you need to take. Those actions define the end goal or, sorry, let's not say goal, The act, those actions define the journey you take yeah. the journey is the purpose I think it was 1985 I worked in the first hospice in mm. Australia in Fitzroy mm. and um, I was doing night shift at the time and I used to love going down there with the, the dying people because they taught me so much and they inspired me mm. what did they teach you they taught me to milk every moment of my life but Mary, you actually saw Man's Search for Meaning, the essence of that book. I think you saw that on Nauru. Oh, absolutely. You saw people lose hope, they lost purpose, and consequently, they resignated. Yeah. On the other hand, you actually saw people retain purpose. so exhausted already dear listeners because chips asked me to hold my breath while we <laughs> launch this episode of a journey with bernie and chip and the chip star or the grinch that's what that's what you're going to saddle me with we're going to keep Mate, starting it like this you must have loved that christmas present i gave you with the grinch because guess what I, i've never mentioned it again you mentioned yeah, it, it twice it's scorched into my retina i think you identify I, with it yeah <laughs> you think i might have formed too much of an attachment to and, mate, I said it as a joke, but now it's starting to almost become part of your identity. Ah, he only dogs me this much when we're on mic too, you know. Well, he's now talking to Mary Scott. Mary, welcome to A Journey with Bernie and Chip. Have you listened to any of our episodes? Two. 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 Who? Who? Louise. Oh, the lovely Louise. Mm. Honestly, right up front, Mary Scott, what did you think of the episode that you listened to? I thought it was brilliant. Mm, that's the correct answer. Well, I love the banter between the three of you. That's it. That's flows. interesting, isn't yeah, it? That's, yeah, that's interesting. What we want. Because, that's great. Because we think we add a little bit of Roy and HG <laughs> to to the to the podcast. I I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm uh, in the presence of people so who Roy? know that what that 
And who's Roy? And who's Actually, Hank that's Stern? a really, really good question because um, Roy's the funny one, isn't he? Well, that's got to be well, me. <laughs> what a, nah, well, who's, isn't HG the greyhound, ex-greyhound trainer of fell on hard times? Well, that's you, mate. Yeah, that's no, definitely I'll take HG. That. I'll take that. Yeah. I've got, I've got two greyhounds. Oh, yeah. What are we doing talking about greyhounds when we've got the great Mary Scott here? Yeah, we should probably get to the guest. We should probably get to the guest. <laughs> Mary, welcome. Great to have you on board. We're on, you're here because a friend of yours called Kay Reynolds, who I met at a BX. BX is like a, a business networking meeting, yeah? Good on you, Kay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she was. Uh, she said, you've got to get on to Mary Scott. Why did I have to get on to Mary Scott? What is so great about Mary Scott? What does Mary Scott do these days? Do, do we get a call with Kay? Ask, you know, call a friend? <laughs> yeah. What do I well, do? We'll have to have that set up next time. <laughs> Good question. I uh, Look, psychotherapist, coach, writer, What's psychotherapy? Counselling. Okay. Digging deep. Yeah. Meaningful, meaningful connections. So, for example, in a in the last month, give us a, a feel for the type of work that you do. What does it look like? I mostly work with women. Okay. Over fifties. Okay. And these women. They think they don't have the skill to do something. That's Usually it's around technical things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I've found is that it's not about the skill. It's actually about the confidence. Yeah. Which is why I call myself a confidence coach. Okay. Okay. That's where that came from. Now, I want to give our listeners a, a little bit more perspective here because please forgive me. You know, your age is irrelevant. That's a good uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> How, however, in the context of you coaching, particularly women over 50, they're being coached by someone, I'm looking at yourself now here, early 60s? Late 60s. Late 60s. <laughs> Tapping on the door of 70. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that wonderful? It's awesome. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. I never thought I'd feel that. as damn good <laughs> at this age. And so, is your coaching uh, like like you to big groups in like seminars, or is it like one on one? Is it small group? Is it online? Give us a feel for the process. It is all online. Okay. And back in the day, when I was a psychotherapist full time, of course that was face to face. Yeah. So when COVID hit. I was like, how am I going to do this remotely? But then what happened was I realized how cool I could open this huge, huge world to myself and be exposed to Mm. way more people. So it's very global these days. It's usually all on Zoom. I've got a bigger group and I've got what I call a high-end group, which is only five women. Yeah. So they're under the pump a lot more than the other 20 that are in the other group, and then yeah. I do one-on-ones. And interestingly enough, I have a young man I've been working with wow. for quite some time. He's 22. And where does he live? He's in New Zealand. Wow. And he's divine. 
I and, love them. And you are based on the Sunshine Coast. Correct. So you're a long way from New Zealand, and yet he's regularly online with you. Um, drawing from your coaching experiences. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Chip, she's already taught me something mm. right here. That, Enlighten that, me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've refused to go Zoom and video ways. Oh, you want to get mm. with it. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. I just That's what I heard you say. I said, here you are at 70 embracing the – I'm not the, 70 yet, but okay, don't get you're, you're heading in that boy, direction. Steady boy, steady uh, boy. And you're embracing the technology and the opportunities that the, the new world gives absolutely. you. Well, I, I, in that particular regard, I think I, I sort of like reached this conclusion that, you know, my personality, uh, I, I want it one-on-one, but I think I am missing out. And Chip, for our podcast too, I think there's an opportunity there for us to reach out to so many through oh. these type of mediums. Mm. Mm. They're powerful tools. They're powerful tools. I don't think they should be sort of your only port of call in terms of those things, mm. in terms of contact, connection, communication, but they're powerful tools yeah. for yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, Mary, you were, you were commenting before on why you reach out to women in their 50s, and we all know that it's a generalization, but there is a specific specific reason as to why they are your target group. Elaborate for us. Well, I think they're hiding in the shadows. <laughs> they're just lurking, you know, they're not sure whether to plunge in and have a go. And then there's other people that are just having a go aimlessly. Okay. And I think that's sad, but there's a lot going for them because they're usually really passionate like I am, yeah. fired up about a cause, Yeah. but they've got to put the – other things together to start the magic. And usually they're techie things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. and trust me, I was never techie. Yeah. But I watched videos, I paused them, I actioned them, and then I played them again, paused, action. And that's how I learned all my technical stuff. Mm-hmm. You see, see, I put you now immediately in the category, you're bold. Because you didn't, you didn't, you, you didn't turn your back on that tech, technological stuff. You actually embraced it. You went in there, and instead of being fearful about it, you you went in there to learn about it quickly. And now it's part of you. That's it's bold. At your peril if you don't, Bernie. Absolutely. Mm. Same Absolutely. with AI. Absolutely. Frightening, but. AI is here, whether we like yeah. it or not, and it's been yeah. around since the '60s. Mary, the, the I know it's a generalisation about the you know the fifty-year-old women, but can you please just comment a little bit more on the help that that group, roughly, what do they need? How are you helping them? Well, let's go. What back are you a doing bit. for them? Let's go back a little bit. Most of those women. Have had children. Yeah. Everything's been about raising the children, being the mother. Some of them might have worked a little bit. Yeah. Now they're they're moving into empty nesters. Yeah. They go, oh, what's happened? I've I've missed. I've got a big gap there. And how do I make up that time? Are they divorced? Mm, As a rule, probably fifty-fifty. Okay, that's interesting. But. Then they go, well, what is it that I'm focusing on? Because I've been focusing on these kids all these years. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. what I've noticed about mothers, another generalisation, yeah. every day they get up and they're pouring from an empty cup. What does that mean? They get up, they're exhausted. Their yeah. fuel tank is on about zero or, you know, lower. Then they give, give, give to their family, their children. 
They give, give, give. There's no energy, there's no love left for them. What do they need mm. to do to start filling the cup? I think they need to just sit down, be still, and pay attention to themselves. Wow, mm. okay. Pay there's attention. magic in that, you know? Yeah. And because they're so busy, they don't ever do that. I do that every day. Every morning I get up, I go outside, and I just stand there going, oh, man, this is so beautiful. I've got white gums, I've got kookaburras, I've got cockatoos, my two dogs are there. And interestingly enough, the dogs don't ever come near me at that time of the day. No, they give you they, space. They go and do their own thing. Mm. So I have that silence and I do it a lot of late evening as well with the stars. Go and have a bit of chat with the stars. Yeah. I don't know much about the stars, but I feel connected to them. Well, just stop there for a moment. So I've got to look at the chipster, Dane. His routines again, winning yeah, the morning, yeah. winning the evening, mm. you know. And, and nature therapy too. We yeah, about yeah, yeah. But also in the process there, you're embracing the opportunity to head towards it, the emptiness, the stillness, you know. Mm. Because isn't that a beautiful space in which to reflect and identify what is really important to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Round the table, round the table, if someone came to any one of us and said, help me, please, help me, please define my purpose, what is the question we would ask them that might be of assistance to them so that they can identify purpose? Chipster? Uh I, what are your values? Yeah, you bugger, mate. That was bloody mine, mate. Because it's it, that's it. That is it. I, I really think this is one of those extremely simple answers. Yeah. yeah. Simple question, simple answer. Explain, please, why you think that's such a crucial question. Uh, because you your purpose grows directly out of your values. What do you value in life? Your values will tell you what actions you need to take. Those actions define the end goal or Sorry, let's not say goal. The act, those actions define the journey you take. Yeah. The journey is the purpose. Hello, you radiant thoroughbreds of this spiritual racetrack. And forgive my intrusion, but I couldn't resist parachuting in with another of Chip's loaded questions. And listen, uh, the subject of purpose is just a bit too big, a bit too important for a single question. So we're loading up. With a three-for-one deal today, trendsetters, and I hope, I pray, I beseech the universe that these questions will help people clarify their purpose because it's so important. Now, these questions are in the interest of self-awareness. Self-awareness uncovers your values. Your values define your purpose. So let's ask ourselves these questions. One, what did your seven-year-old self love doing? What was that childhood joy? Two, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Remove all risk. Remove all fear. There is only success ahead of you. What would you do? What would you do if you could not fail? Three, at the end of your days, by what measures will you deem your life a successful one? What will have made your life a success? Or let me put it another way, and hopefully this offers a little more illumination. After you're gone, what would you want the people left behind to say about you? Mary, it, it, forgive me for saying so, but because of our past 
coffees that we've had. We've had a couple now. Um, I'm aware that it, it, it hasn't always been as hunky-dory and as beautiful as it's sounding now because recently, very recently, you lost a loved one. I did. Yeah. Tell us about Jean. She was awesome. Mm. Did she, she was dynamic. Is she? Yeah. She would give you unsolicited advice. Right. Whether you liked it or not. Right. She was a woman of great knowledge. She's a woman who knew her own mind. Yeah. And when we got together, because she, she pursued me for two years. <laughs> she was persistent. She was. She I was had other words at the time. And I was like, you know. And I remember we went to dinner and she said, what do I have to do? I said, go and do a personal development um, group. Here's a name of it. Go and do it. Why did you ask me. her to do that? <laughs> That's an interesting Well, I wanted thing, to have a it? meaningful life with meaning, meaningful connection and I wanted her to know herself. Yeah. And my experience... And forgive me, <laughs> Jean. It, my experience of her back then, which was 26, would it be 27 years this year ago, was that she had given her life to her family. She had three children. Yeah. And she had been a solo mum for a long time. Yeah. She was passionate about um, direct sales. That's how she brought the kids up. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but she didn't know herself. Yeah. She would give to others. She was one that didn't have the cup full. Yeah. She'd give to others in spite of herself. Yeah. She would make promises. Yes, I'll fix that. She had a she had a shop in Blackburn in Victoria. Yeah. It was called Just Ask Us. Mm. Biggest knowles in town, she used to say. Biggest what, sorry? Knowles no. in town. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And she would make garments for size six women. To 26, yeah. get that. Yeah. Honestly, she was a woman who brought value everywhere. Wow. She was one of the kindest, kindest people I've known ever. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, you, you lost Jean a couple of years ago? No, last year. Oh, wow. I didn't realise. I think it's eight me. months on Saturday. Oh, wow. So very. I didn't realise that was so fresh as Chip just said. Your coaching, the, the, the richness of what you offer other people, is it, I assume that you had that richness while Jean was still alive with you. It sounds as if you're, you, you're a passionate human being. Has it been enhanced since Jean has passed? I think it's deepened. Wow. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you've got five beaners in the driveway. If you haven't got someone that loves you and a deep connection, yeah, there's no life in that. You know, one of the privileges that I have had, and not everyone's had this, I was deeply loved for 26 years. Mm. And I think that's a beautiful thing. There's some people go through life that they've never been loved. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a day, even in her her dying days, it almost goes together, doesn't it? There was love. She always had love. She she struggled even when she became immobile. She would always say to me, thank you, darling, for what you're doing. Yeah. 
Thank you. She never complained, you know. Yeah. At home we had a hospital bed and, you know, some of those hospital beds. I was grateful for it, but truly yeah. it's still a hospital bed, you yeah. know. Mm. But she's just grateful every day. And and we set her up in the lounge so she could look outside to the white gums and the kangaroos on the other side. Mm. And now and again we've, we've got two standard poo- poodles, a mm. black Ruby Tuesday oh, and a brown Mr. Oliver and Ruby Tuesday used to she she found it a bit difficult to get up on that hospital bed mm. but she'd get up there every day mm. and just lie next to her on top of Jean. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. amazing with dogs like that. They're such comforting animals. You hear those stories again and again. Yeah. You know, with, yeah. with terminal patients. Yeah. Yeah. Mary, in a way, since since Jean's passed, have you sort of like harnessed the love that you used to share with her and what she gave to you? Are you giving that now to these wonderful clients? Is that sort of like the 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 reason why it's deepened? I think it's overflowing now. Wow. I've always been moved with the capacity of the human spirit. Mm. And, you know, because I've... I've travelled, I'm well-travelled, I've worked in some interesting places. Yeah. I've planted trees in a forest mm. when they got wiped out. As a kid, as an entrepreneurial kid at, I think I was 11, mm. I had a paper round. You've also run a marathon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a bit slow with that one, Bernie. It was a 37-year-old <laughs> dream. It took me 37 years. And if you look at me, I'm no runner. <laughs> you know, so I talked about it. I had it on my goal list for 37 years. And one day I just <sighs> thought, well, no, hang on. Uh, this is a truth-telling part, okay. We were on a plane from Honolulu to Melbourne. Yeah. And Jean was very direct, as I said, unsolicited advice. She said, as we approached the plane, you can sit in the middle seat this time and I'll be on the aisle. And I was like, what the hell brought that about? She said, well, I'm sick of being squashed between you and the other person. And at that time I was 111 kilos. And... I was ashamed and embarrassed because there I was in the middle seat, you know. Yeah. And then what do they do? They bring the food, don't they? Yeah. How the hell do I get the tray table down? (laughs) (laughs) I know that experience. So when I got home, I thought, I better run the Boston Marathon. She said, what the hell? Are you going to run the Boston Marathon? I said, I've been talking about it for 37 years. Let's do it. How many years of training did you do or how many months of training did you do? Six Mm. months. And you went from 111 kilos in the process of training to what? Well, I think about 68. Oh, get out of it. You did not. I did so. You cannot lose 50 kilos. I've got a picture to prove it. Hey, how'd you you lose 50 kilos in such a short time? Oh, that wasn't in six months. No, no. no. Look, I got carried away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we like it when people get carried away. Was it a year? (laughs) Look... Doesn't matter. I tell you where I get the six months from. Yeah. I had to get a wild card to get into Boston. Yeah. So when I got the wild card to when I ran, it was six months because I, I did a blog. That's yeah. where I got that from. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't just pull that out of, you know. Yeah. So I wrote a book about it. So I remember the blog. But so I would think, oh, 
probably a year because my first marathon was in Rotorua, New Zealand because that's where I'm from and I decided to do that. I'm lost here. So how long before the Boston Marathon was Rotorua Marathon? I think it was in May 20, uh, 2009 because yeah. uh, I did the Boston in April. The ni- I think it was the 19th or 16th of April 2010. Okay. So, so I did my first one in Rotorua. We got about 18 months there. Yeah, 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 yeah so yeah. I think it must have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't often lie like that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded real impressive. Yeah, it though, did, didn't, didn't it? it? Like, I wasn't even impressed what? when I heard myself say it. I was like, what the hell? So, Mary, I've got you in your mid-50s there doing these marathons. Yeah, I was. Yeah, wow. Unreal. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Unreal. And for the first time. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. was walking down the road in Melbourne because that's where we lived in those days. And I saw this little studio. Mm. I don't know what I weighed then, but I was overweight. And I said to Jean, let's go in and talk to this woman. She seemed like a nice woman. So I went in and I said to her, oh, hi. Do you think I could run a marathon? Now, this woman never seen me before. Like, what the hell is she doing here? She said, have you got a pulse? I said, yeah, of course I've got nice a pulse. Answer. She said, then you can run the marathon. Yeah, yeah. And that's where it all began. Yeah. Mary, enter into the boxing ring. Yep. I want you to throw your best punches right now. What did you learn from doing these marathons? This was a giant leap. This was a change in program. I'm taking on these goals, you said to yourself, and I'm going to run a marathon. What a journey. But for our listeners' sake over here, what's the greatest learning of taking on those goals, being so bold? What did you learn? Stay the course. I think we get a bit lost because we get focused on the goal yeah, and we forget about the journey. But mm. the gold, the gold is in the journey. It's not in the goal. You, you spot we on. Lose yeah. that. We You're lose that. On. You see, and I think the journey is where the growth is. I was talking to my group last night and I was saying, oh, I love it when I'm really pushing hard to learn something new because I know any minute I'm going to have a breakthrough to learning something that's Awesome. Yeah. Chips yeah. Well, Bernard and I were talking about this a lot because there also seems to be, if you do enough learning, because that's what we're talking about here, talking about learning isn't enough, we agree, but there also seems to be something that happens if you do enough learning of the right stuff, that knowledge hits a critical mass and then action seems to become inevitable. So, questions two part. Number one, have you observed something like that? And number two, is there sort of a predictable way that you can go about your learning to maximize your chances of implementing? Can, can no, I, I, I'm adding value to the same question, so so it, it, she's going to answer the same question. Make it too complicated. When, no, 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 no. But when you read your books, do you use highlight pens and and do you scribble over your books? Mm. How do you how do you pinpoint and summarize the value, the learnings? out of the books, and I'm asking that because Chip's now talking about the critical mass of learning, and I'm wondering how you capture that learning, Mm. and Chip's saying if you read it in that book, then you read it in this book over here, and you read it in that course and that discussion over there, that critical mass, you hear it over and over again, then it becomes part of you. Now what I do is I listen, I stop, I write Oh, I see. Get so I listen, I pause, of the write. Book. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I yeah. have a book just for meaningful things that I want to learn. Ah, right, right. You've been in my kitchen here today because the yeah, studio's, studio's in the house. You saw all the poster notes. <laughs> They're coming from books, 
right? And they're actually categorized from books into certain segments that might be a part of my future book, you know? Chipster, guess what? This is an opportunity for you and I to talk about one of our favourite subjects, Nepal, Nepal and the Himalayas. Yeah, I got that uh, pre-trip <laughs> excitement now. You know, the anticipation's not one of the best bits. When are we going? We're going April 3rd. April the 3rd. And we've got some people going to Everest Base Camp over 14 days, eight days there, yeah. six days back, and others at exactly the same time. The cool kids. We're going to Gokyo. Oh. Oh, mate, I'm so pumped. You know, because you know, because I thought we were going to Gokio last trip, and then we, and then we had to take these people to where they wanted to go. Um, but as look, as much as I love Everest Base Camp, seen it, I am very keen for Gokio, mate. I, I'm just keen for the Himalayas because yeah, yeah, every yeah. time I walk into that environment, those mountains speak to me. They penetrate my soul. Mm. But coupled with the beauty of sharing, sharing yeah, our Sherpa. Yoda uh, and his beautiful team and of course they're founded in incredible wonderful Buddhism Buddhism principles mm. and the trilogy of that mate I don't know what it does to you but I tell you what mate I come back a different person every time better person I hope you know not <laughs> what do you mean you hope it's giving you real burn no I mean I love those guys now Preceding the Himalayas, of course, Kagendra. Yeah, it's one of our, it's the unique experience we offer. I mean, not many tours, if any, do something like this. We're going to yeah. take people to give them the opportunity to take a class at Kagendra Second Life School, um, which is the vocational school that we sponsor in Kathmandu. Yeah. One of their main missions is to educate and give opportunities to disabled yeah. children. Right? 600 of them now, Chip. 600 of them. Yeah, we yeah. should hasten to add not all of these are disabled children um, because Kagendra is such a, a renowned school now. You know, people just want to send their children here because of the quality of the education. And it's renowned because um, we had the opportunity after the earthquakes of 2015 yeah. to embark upon a project to build them a brand new school and in May 2022 that's what we walked into yeah. one of the more memorable days of my life to walk into that beautiful school mm. and have that school assembly now we're leaving on April the 3rd and Chip for our listeners out there um, we're asking you to invest in whatever airfare that you want and you've got choices dear people yep. you just need to meet us in Kathmandu on April the 3rd and I can let you know now that there's an opportunity to to buy the rest of it, buy the whole experience for under $4,000 at the moment. And there so all they have to do is to get in contact with us. The website's nearly there, not quite. Nearly, But yeah. we just need them to take this phone number, all right? Yep. Now, you got a pen? No, you haven't got a pen. Go get yourselves a pen. Yeah, I'm giving you a few, bit of time. You got one? Yeah, you got it. Okay, here we go. Plus 61 412 982-444. Replay the podcast if you want to hear that number again. And all you got to do is just text me, dear people, and say, yeah. hey, Bernie, I'm interested. Send me an information kit. Within 24 hours, you'll have all the information that you could possibly need to make an informed decision about joining us. Chip, how much would we love to have some of our listeners on board? Oh, it'd be the best. And it's always a fantastic experience. The community and the walking the trail with other people. I mean, and the camaraderie. Yeah. You feel like that's yeah. 
that's probably my uh, favourite part of this whole thing. And as we're walking towards Dingbo Shea from Pangbo Shea, which podcast do you think they'll say was the best, Chip? Oh, certainly mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was the wrong answer, you dude, Peach. <laughs> The biggest learning was when I worked in Nauru, the detention centre for three years for asylum seekers. Can you, did you, because some of our listeners are global here, yeah. right? So just elaborate a little bit more on Nauru, an island. It's in the Pacific. Yeah. It's 21 kilometres, so half a marathon round. Yeah. It's an atoll. It's got lots of phosphate. Yeah. So if you were to look at it, it's like a mushroom. There's actually not much on the bed of the sea left because they've taken so much phosphate away. What's the nearest mainland city? Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, well, it's four and a half hours into the Pacific from Brisbane, Australia. Okay. The Australian government would take people that were coming from Indonesia by boat and they would – a lot of them would head towards somewhere like Christmas Island, which is out from Perth, 300-something kilometres. Yeah. And – fly them to Nauru in the Pacific. They had an agreement with the Nauruan government. That's about a five-hour plane trip in itself. It is. Yeah. But so they, if you came by boat, you didn't have a right, this is according to the government, you didn't have a right to, to come into the mainland Australia. Yeah. And people were risking their life, their children's lives, their family lives, going in sometimes just fishing boats or little boats. So they elected to send them to Nauru and... I first heard about the jobs there when I was doing mining up in northern Queensland at the time. And when I first inquired, the the women were just sleeping on what do they call camp stretches. And I said, no, mm. no, <laughs> come back to me when there's beds because, mm. you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s. I don't like much. Sure. So they did come back to me and I went out there and it was mostly men in those days. So we just had one camp for men. Oh, my goodness, I learnt so much. I couldn't believe every day I learnt something. Tell us something you learnt. Really powerful. What did you learn? What did you learn about humanity? Well, I learnt that we do things that we would never do in everyday life in our own environment where we're loved, we're among trusted people. When we're put out there in isolation, seeking asylum, and some of those asylum seekers were criminals, let's be clear, mm. it really takes you to the, the deepest part of your soul. You have to protect you and your family vehemently, which involved rising up every day, mm -hmm. demonstration, sewing your kids' lips together, all these kind of brutal things that we wouldn't do here in everyday life, but we've never been taken to that level. Yeah. We've never had confinement. Yeah. It's like taking someone, putting them in jail. Yeah. Right? Imagine this on an island. It's 36 kilometers from the equator, stinking hot day and night. And we're in these huge marquees with big old rusty fans going around. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, when we started the family camp, as we called it, which is where I was one of the four commanders, uh, makes me laugh every time I say that, mm -hmm. um, they had air conditioning because mm -hmm. the government looked after the families. So, well, I think they did a good job looking after a lot of them, even though that was that's a provocative thing to say. But people were functioning at a level that you, you've got to be pushed there. You've got your back to the wall. There's nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. And, for example... 
I had this riot once and, and this this big and, – and forgive me, I'm just trying to show – perhaps I won't mention the nationality, that's not fair, but this big brute of a man basically came chest to chest with me and I could feel my heart beating, <laughs> pounding and practically spat on me. Yeah. And I found that just so deeply raw – and I realised in that moment that he had nothing else. That was his last hurrah. Okay, okay. You know, it, 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 it sounds amazing, but, you know, I, and I'm probably out of place here. I'm thinking of Viktor Frankl's book at the moment, Man's Search for Meaning. And you've got a smile on your face, so you can identify perhaps book. why I'm, I'm thinking that. Chip, are you familiar with? I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it. Yeah. Well, of course, and, uh, well, let, let me throw it back at, at you, please, Mary, because you understand the, the basis or the essence of that uh, unforgettable book. Um, what did you discover? What kept people not alive? What gave them energy? What gave them hope? How did people in that situation from other lands, how did they handle that? How did they respond? How did they cope? How did they keep energised? I'd imagine you may have seen some who gave up hope. I did. You saw some who possibly committed suicide? I saw people all between that attempting to commit suicide in lots of different ways. So some people were giving up? And others were still retaining hope. How come? What was the difference? Well, that's a good question. But let me answer something else. Those people had purpose. Yeah, like coming. See, we're right back to this that we mm. talked about before. They were driven to find a place to settle where they felt safe. Yeah. And they could start the whole trust cycle again. So you're quoting straight from the Viktor Frankl book. Because he said... Do you know I haven't read that book? Well, here's what he said. He said, even if their purpose was to get back at the guards with hatred, that was enough energising to keep them alive. Those who lost purpose, some of those were ones that threw themselves on the electric fence, Mm. gave gave up life. Purposelessness is hopelessness, isn't it? Say that again, please, Chip. Purposelessness is hopeless. I want you to elaborate on it, explain it. Uh, well, uh, you know, hope if we define it as most people do, I think, which is just a belief in something yeah, worth living for in yeah. the future. Yeah. Um, you deny someone purpose, you deny someone hope. Without yeah. hope, that it, there is nothing. You will. It's, you, and you, you push them well, into you're resignation, you see. Yeah. Mm. You push them into resignation. Mm. Yeah. And when I'm resigned, I'm just going to lie down, down and it. die. That's it. That's yeah. it. What's the point? That's it. See, yeah, purpose I suppose is very death. deep. Yeah, death is the like, ultimate resignation, isn't it? And if you get there, if you get there in life, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, I don't know. I left. think you can march to death. Mm. Meaning, if your pur- if your yeah, that's fair. purpose, mm. if your purpose is to live a full life until there's no more of you, yeah. You don't need to be resigned. Mm. Okay, but in that yeah, particular that's... case, you're saying that's when they lose purpose. Yeah. They get to a point where purpose is lost. Yeah. That's why at the moment we're hearing a fair bit of the euthanasia argument is, is surfacing. It's, you know, I'm reading it about it a lot more. It's a good argument. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, uh, interesting position. But, Mary, you actually saw Man's Search for Meaning, the essence of that book. I think uh, you saw that on Nauru. 
Oh, absolutely. You saw people lose hope, they lost purpose, and consequently, they resignated. Yeah. On the other hand, you actually saw people retain purpose. I think it was 1985 I worked in the first hospice in mm. Australia in Fitzroy. Mm. And um, I was doing night shift at the time and I used to love going down there with the, the dying people because they taught me so much and they inspired me. Mm. What did they teach you? They taught me to milk every moment of my life and to look further than what you see, like the spirit element you know? How would you define the spirit element? Because everyone has a slightly different view of this. So I think it's it's both important to make our own personal distinctions, but I think it really adds to this really rich tapestry of, of meanings that I people love derive. That tapestry. Yeah, so I want you to put your thread into that tapestry. So what does that mean to you? What does the spiritual life mean to you? I just feel connected every day to a greater power than me. Mm-hmm. And some days when I'm working with people, I feel that greater power coming through me. I know that sounds no, – I hope that doesn't, doesn't no, sound um, no, egoic in any sense. Yeah. But I know what it's there and I go, oh, whoa, here we go. And I just let it run. Mm. Um, and I think it started – Bernie will love this one. I think it started very young – being brought up in a very strict Catholic household where we said okay. the rosary every day. We had to kneel down and lean on the chairs in the dining room. Well, we didn't have dining rooms. We weren't that highfalutin. <laughs> we had a very basic house. My father was a grocer. My mother worked in a woolen mills. She'd come home black and blue mm-hmm. when the shuttle would come out and hit her in the, the hip or something. Mm. But I think that all started then where I learnt the art of praying. Yeah. And back then, my father used to make sure we knew things in Latin because that was the church's way. Mm. And him and I would ride our bikes, you know, at 6.30 Mm. in the morning down in (laughs) central Otago. Well, actually, it wasn't. It was in Otago in New Zealand. Very Mm. cold. Mm. Ice and snow sometimes back Mm. then. It's very different now. Mm. But we would go to Mass every day. And I remember saying to my father, why don't they heat the church? No, it's good for you. It makes you stronger. <laughs> and my yeah. fingers would be white trying yeah, to say yeah. something in Latin, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think I learned then that there was a there was a, a greater be- – I wouldn't use that word God so much these days That's as universal yeah. power. Mm. I don't even like that word. Uh, let's say universal connection. Mm. I think that's more yeah. freeing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, needn't, it needn't be personified. If you say God, it tends to be an entity. It tends to have a mind of its own. You're just talking about connection. yeah, a feeling of connection to this greater thing, this greater network. How Catholic are you now, Mary? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I feel so you're very kind of how you feel. I feel pretty disillusioned. I've still got the flat knees to prove it that I've felt mm. for a long time. <laughs> so despite the fact that very early on it actually gave you a seed of awareness of something greater. And I'm grateful for that, you know. Yeah, you're grateful for that. But now the Catholicism, and as Chips was talking about, the definition of God there is sort of like dropped away and it's just replaced with an appreciation of something greater than self. Absolutely. And just yeah. go outside at night mm. in a rural area, mm. lay down on the grass if you mm. like, and look up there and say, wow, like 
you couldn't help but say, wow, even on a foggy night, there's still there's still little lights that you can see that you go, oh, I've got to be connected to that. Yeah, yeah. I take the dogs out at night and yeah. I talk to them. What yeah. can you see tonight? You yeah, know? this is where we need to thank Louise too, Chip, because Louise talked about you, you, you look out there at night time and, and she's saying, well, that's what do I want to call that? She calls that nature. Somehow the force of nature has created all that and then she looks at the tree beside her and says, force of nature is, has uh, caused that. They look in the mirror and say, the force of nature has caused mm. this. To, oh, there's nature. It's everywhere. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and I like that. The other thing that I think, and I was taking from what you said about God, is that if I reflect on that, and I do a lot of reflection, every day I reflect, it gives me the sense of greater than and less than. God is greater than, I must be less than. Whereas when you talk mm. about universal energy and having a deep appreciation mm. for everything around us, yeah. there's so much equality in that. Yeah. You know, we're all equal. Chip, we there it is again, in us. <laughs> yeah. That's where we first were, were introduced to the whole concept of the, 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 the wonderful dichotomy of feeling so minuscule, so small in the presence of the spirit. And yet when we feel so connected with it, we feel so grand. Exactly. And uh, at the same time, an incredible well, human experience. I want to throw in something a little, I don't know whether it's controversial here, but when we say it's time to step up, it's so easy to say, everyone, it's time to step up. Everyone needs to st step up. I want to say... It's time for the good people, the people that, that have believed, the people whose experiences of life and their journey of life have allowed them to see things and they're aware. You must stand up because you've got stuff to offer. I don't mean this demeaningly, but no, there are that. some people whose whose life journey they've actually chosen not a journey of curiosity, not a journey of learning and growing, and they may not be as aware. Now, do we want them to stand up? Of course we do. But those that are aware, we need to hear your voice because you're the ones that can influence. I just wonder at times in this social media world, have we got the wrong influences. Yeah, 100% we yeah. And that, well, and there's, there's a lot to say about that, but, the, but that would be something that would be very beneficial to fix, and it's that social media algorithms, algorithms don't select for those good voices. Now, there's, a, there's an action <laughs> that, that would be mm. useful. Yeah, what, yeah, what Chad's talking yeah. about. And that gets back to the idea of imagine the power of ethical companies. I think we've been, as a society, I can only talk about the West, obviously, but I think the West has been running a social experiment for, you know, a couple of hundred years. And it's the, the really, going really hard on capitalist experiment. Yeah, And I don't want to crap on capitalism too much because everyone does right now. There are some magnificent things to come out of that, but there are so many things that are wrong. And I think 
people you know people are finally paying attention to the yeah. parts that are broken and saying hey let's fix this and that you know and i think bernie like Alf, this is what we're trying to do with the podcast don't turn away from everything you yeah. don't no need to turn away from everything just modify modify you know find the modified existence but a modified existence which gives you the space to inspire your own inner stability, your mm. own inner happiness, your own inner joy as a foundation for becoming a more loving human being. Now, what's interesting there is, as I say, more loving human being, a loving human being knows when to speak up. Mm. And a loving human being knows when to take a stance. A loving human being knows when to contribute. Because that they they that that they want they want the world to be a more loving place. Well, you can't remain silent and just be in your in your own love bubble. Mm. Uh, we've got we we've got to share it. We've got to be be able to distribute it and make it happen more out there in a global sense. And I think when you stand up, I know from my personal experience, if I make a dis like um, after Jean's journey of five years um, living with cancer. I've decided to get on the bandwagon quite a bit about the medical system. Mm. It's quite broken, in my opinion, mm. and encourage people to advocate. When I was with Jean going to appointments and things, I saw a lot of people on their own there. Mm. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a traumatic situation and you can't remember half of the conversation? Yeah. And we're having co having conversations with people about their life, mm. how long they're going to live, you mm. know, because prognosis comes up, mm. even though it's frightening. Mm. Some people don't mention it, even mm. in palliative care. You know, mm. It's frightened human beings. But I think that we need to advocate for those that, cannot advocate for themselves yeah. and I, I for one am telling people if you have to go to a medical appointment if it's crucial and it's important and it's about your life take someone else to listen mm -hmm. and I think uh, sorry I'm, I'm taking a long time to get to my point my point is this that when I made that decision I learned more about how I felt and what my mm. perspective was yeah. had I not Announce that decision, I wouldn't know what I know now. Does yeah. that make sense? No, it yeah. does. It does. Yeah, and I, that's the growth. That's why you've got to stand up. Yeah. You, you don't know at that point what it's all about until you actually start articulating it. Yeah. Was yeah. there anxiety about making that stand for you? Was it a difficult decision to make? No, well, it came natural when I saw Jean being treated in a particular way and being mm. bullied and pushed around mm. in an emergency. Mm. And I just fired up. I became mm. this mad woman. Mm. I can't imagine what they wrote in their notes. I mm. suppose they've got to be careful these days. But, mm. <laughs> you know, like they wanted to send her home one, one time when I took her there by ambulance. Mm. I was like, no, you're not doing it. Then mm. they promised Panadol. And 45 minutes later, they, I said, where's the Panadol? Oh, I lost my keys. I couldn't open the cupboard. Mm. I'm like, not good enough. Mm. Yeah. So you, yeah, you had that point of passion. So that made it like semi-effortless for you because you had Gene. I mean, would you have advice for some of us who struggle sometimes to to do what they perceive as the right thing for fear of upsetting the apple cart? Is there a... Well, I think know? fear is going to get in the way, but mm. fear is a bit of a paper tiger. Mm. You know, like... It's just a perception, isn't it? And, yeah. And, and I think you've got to say, I'd like to help you, but I, but I actually don't know how. Yeah. I've had people say that to me. 
And if you see a loved one going to an appointment or at the, you know, they could be at their end of their life and they're going to an appointment to get a result. Mm. How many times? Oh, yeah, the, some, you know, I've heard people getting results over the phone on their own and they've got mm. no clue. I think just say, what do you need? Because mm, yeah. most of us know in that point of crisis, we know what we need, even though it's complete overwhelm. They might just say, can you get me a water? Mm. I might just say, hold my hand. Yeah. What did he say again? Do you know, my mother, she was diagnosed with lung cancer long time ago. Long time ago. We went to her, back in those days, radiation oncologist, mm. you know, because everyone got radiation back then. Mm. And he said to her this, he said, Mrs. Scott, we can't save your life, but we can prolong your life. Mm. And my father and I were there and we went outside and mum said, did you hear what he said, Jack, to my father? Mm. He said he's going to help me live for a long time. Mm. Wow. We were just like, wow. And mm. I was so grateful to be involved with that mm. because her reality and, you know, like, and that's what she wanted to hear. So we yeah. went with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wanted yeah. her to yeah. go to the beat of her own drum. Mm. I know exactly what you're saying about the medical system. By the way, Peter Attia, I think that's the name of the author. Attia. Attia, A-T-T-I-A. Yep. Um, Outlive. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a book that's doing the globe at the moment on the very issue that you're, you're talking about and which I relate to on a very personal basis. Um, you know, my, my mum and dad are 92, 86, and there's no way in the world that we allow them to go to hospital without one of us well, you wouldn't, <laughs> would you? accompanying them because we just got to make sure that the information is, you know, from, from doctor or specialist is actually disseminated to mum and dad in a way that they understand. And it's but, equal. It's equality. It's not the doctor said, and mm, I shall be complicit. Well, unfortunately, I know, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not unfair on my own parents here, but that generation yeah. doesn't know how to ask. They love professional distance. You know, they love looking up to the doctor, so they give the doctor powers that sometimes you, you, you need to question. Um, because Correct. we need to know what's going on. And the doctors visited for two minutes and disappeared. Correct. You know, yeah. yeah well, yeah. you can't make informed decisions, you see, mm. if you don't have mm. knowledge yeah. to base that on. Well, I want to test your knowledge now because oh, we're no, wrapping up. Oh, is this up, a multi-choice? No, we're wrapping up this podcast now because <laughs> oh, we, yeah, well, no, we we've covered so no, we've covered so There's many been topics. Much ground. Yeah. yeah, Chip and I are going to ask you five questions. We don't even know what the questions are, by the way. I've just put Chip on the spot. <laughs> I, I was going to say, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Out of here. I've got a couple of really good ones. I didn't know we were doing however, this. I'm excited. However, hey, the secret it. of this last bit is they've got to be sh short, sharp, quick answers, like not even more than a sentence. One sentence you I'm reflect and you go bang. Right. All right. And if you fire the gun. Yeah, and you might say, uh, oh, I'm not so sure. That's your that's your answer. That's a good answer. Oh, so I only get one go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, yeah. just, just it's almost like come from instinct, right? Rather okay. than cognition. Yes, right. Okay, here we go. You ready? Right. I've got the first one, Chip. Okay, here we go. The greatest thing that you learnt from being on Nauru in that job. What was the greatest thing you learned about Mary Scott? To value every attribute that I have and to use it for greater good. Chip? All right, Mary, I'm going to piggyback off the Nari question. Uh, 
did you see people, uh, the asylum, the imprisoned asylum seekers in Nauru, attaining joy? And how did they do that in that environment? The simple things and the flowers that they picked. Yeah. And the smile on their faces on a good day. Mm-hmm. My next question is one word. Gene. Love. What is love? Deeper connection than you can feel. The meaningful life. What's essential to have? Two things that are essential if you are to have the meaningful life. Curiosity. Mm-hmm. Oneness. Well, okay. I've got I've got a great one to piggyback off that. You, you have jumped a, in quick then. You have a magic wand, okay? Yep. Anything you want, you wave it. Yep. What do you take away from the world? Oh wow. Oh, magnificence. No, no, I mean what do you what do you what do you think needs to go? What would you Oh, like rip away. Yeah. Mm. What would you erase? Hatred. What would I give? Kindness. See, I had one of my own then. Yeah. Describe what you mean by oneness. Because you use that word with reference to meaningful life. What do you mean by oneness? Well, I think that, and I'm learning about this. I'm a student of it right now. I feel like there's more to me than me and there's there's greater things happening. <laughs> We're on a podcast, but I think we know this much. So I've just got my hands up. Mm. Um, you know, here, we know this much, mm. but what's actually out there and available is this much. Mm. We're never going to know. Mm. That's the oneness. The mm. Out here is is always impacting what's going on in here. Mm. We just don't know it, and that's why we have to have awareness and consciousness every day. Mm-hmm. Be conscious. Mm. Mm. You know, I get up every day and I say, what is my intention for today? Mm. Mm. I won't go on because I know we're under the pump. Uh, uh, no, 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 Mary, no. Just about to say to you, Mary, yeah, that was three sentences, okay. <laughs> that was three sentences. What do you say to those 50-year-old women we're talking about? Not all of them, of course, but we're talking about some of your clients who you you perceive are hamstrung in some way. Give it a go. Keep practicing. Give what a go? Anything the heart desires. Mm-hmm. Anything you want, you can have it. Just mm. keep practicing it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Why not? Mm. Mary, if I gave you a microphone now and I said to you, this microphone, every single person in the world will hear what you say, but the microphone's going to cut out after about 45 seconds. So your message that you want the world to hear. Now, the world is going to hear. We don't know how many people are going to listen to your podcast over the next 10 years. What we do know is that podcasts don't die. How cool is that? Mm, mm. So you've got 45 seconds. You've got the microphone. You're speaking to the globe. Mary, what do you got to say? It's time to turn your inner critic into your inner greatness. 
Well, Mary Scott, um, you have actually provided a golden thread to many oh, people around the the globe. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't know how many thousands of people are going to hear it, your podcast now, but we do know that it's going to be uh, uh, exponentially growing over time. Yeah? And as a result of that, there are going to be many, many people that are going to learn different things. There are stories that you've told that people are going to resonate with and they're going to extract this point, this piece of value for them. Someone else will hear the story of you and Jean and be able to immediately react to that. Some will hear the story of Nauru. And as a result of uh, that experience, there's going to be a great deal of learning and growing. Mary Scott, did you enjoy yourself? I had fun. We had a You got it. You got it. You got it. But you got to say it with the right. In fact, today we're going to say it He's all together. Now. All together. Mary Scott, you have been part of a very special podcast called Journey with, with Bernie, Bernie and, and Chip. <laughs> a chip off the old block. There you go. Hope you enjoyed it, dear listeners. It's been great having you on board. And you better tune in next week because we've got another are coming your way. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you. Real pleasure. Real pleasure, Mary. Goodbye for now. Cheers. Bye. Well, good people, what did you think of that? I don't know about you, but I just loved it. But I continue to love these stories and these journeys of people's lives that can give to us strategies and actions and routines and and disciplines and ways of seeing the world, all of which can help us to become more loving human beings, happier ones too. And listening intently is the chipster, Chip Lachlan Huddy, our editor and producer. And as promised, he's about to deliver Chip's take-home pay, a four-minute summary of all the goodness and the gold that we just heard over the last hour. Hey, take it away, Chip. Thanks, Byrne, and thank you, dear listeners, you questers for wisdom, you intrepid spider monkeys on the tree of life. Thank you for joining me for yet another edition of Chip's Take Home Pan. I'll tell you what, uh, it could go any which way this week because didn't Mary cover all the topics and then some? I hate to use shop-worn catchphrases like something for everyone, but that's how this episode felt. So where to start? with the take-home pay. Easy. We're going to go back to basics and right down deep to one of the podcast lodestones because we talk about this just about every episode, but I don't think we've ever gone granular on it. So today, my stunning little spider monkeys, it's time to take a deep dive into the concept of purpose. First things first, let's define it. Because we all take for granted that we understand what purpose means. And sure, we all understand the basic meaning, the dictionary meaning. But there's important nuance to the way we use it when we're talking about purpose in the context of a meaningful life. So let's hear from doctors Todd Kashtan and Patrick McKnight, two psychologists who've done quite a bit of work on the subject of purpose. Here's what they have to say, quote, 
Purpose is defined as a central, self-organizing life aim. Central in that, if present, purpose is a predominant theme of a person's identity. If we envision a person positioning descriptors of their personality on a dartboard, purpose would be near the innermost concentric circle. Purpose is self-organizing in that it provides a framework for systematic behavior patterns in everyday life. Self-organization should be evident in the goals people create, the effort devoted to these goals, and decision-making when confronted with competing options of how to allocate finite resources such as time and energy. A purpose motivates a person to dedicate resources in particular directions and toward particular goals and not others. That is, terminal goals and projects are an outgrowth of a purpose. As a life aim, a purpose cannot be achieved. Instead, there are continual targets for efforts to be devoted." Unquote. Now, that's quite a mouthful, and if you didn't get it all in one go, I encourage you to rewind and listen again. Uh, but basically, it defines purpose as a life aim that provides a framework for deciding what to do and what not to do with your life. And crucially, while purpose can supply short-term goals, does supply short-term goals, the aim itself can never be achieved and so will always be there to generate more goals that allow you to act, to live meaningfully. That's powerful. That's the goal and the journey all in one. That's everything. So how do we cultivate our purpose? Well, we touched on it in this week's loaded question. First step is to identify your values. Your values will show you what matters to you in life. Your purpose will then arise from living out those values. Here's where I think a lot of people can get stuck. It's one thing to identify your values with questions like we asked ourselves in the loaded question. It can be quite another to actually live those values because maybe you don't quite have the courage yet. Maybe you don't believe the world will share your values. So, how do we cultivate the kind of mind that can live our values and thus attain our purpose? Sudoku, if you can believe it, also crosswords, also the structure of a snowflake. Stay with me. Now, while I was researching this take-home pay, I found a fascinating study from 2013 by Heinzelman, Trent, and King. And these guys discovered that perceiving patterns gave people a statistically significantly greater sense of purpose in life. Now, why is this? Who knows? Maybe, maybe the detection of a pattern brings a sense of order. A sense of order brings a sense of meaning. A sense of meaning brings a sense of purpose. More work needs to be done. But for now, let's put aside the how and focus on the what, because this study suggests that getting better at recognizing patterns will actually make you better at living with purpose. And if that doesn't excite your friends and neighbors, do please check your pulse. So here's the mission. Improve your pattern recognition. Here are the action steps. And pick whichever sounds the funnest. They'll all work. Number one, study mathematics. Now, this might be a tough sell for some people, including me, 
because maths uh, is kind of daunting and intimidating and boring, but it is all about patterns. Now, this could be as simple as just relearning the old times tables from school. There's a lot of patterns in that. I know it'll still be kind of a struggle, but there's no meaning without struggle, guys. So go and get on it. Get on those times tables. Option two, study nature. The natural world is a gorgeous collection of patterns. The tides, the seasons, the circuits of the planets, the life cycle of a butterfly. Find them. Study them. Get to know them. Let these patterns build you up. Option three, probably the funnest, find a left brain hobby like crosswords, like Sudoku, like words with friends, like a puzzle heavy video game, uh, like escape rooms if you have the money and time, or like chess, our old classic chess, anything that forces your mind to tease out connections. Now, full disclosure, this study linking pattern recognition with a heightened sense of purpose has not actually been replicated. So it's still technically theoretical. But listen, this is an experiment worth participating in. All you have to lose is a little time and effort. And what you stand to gain is everything. All right, that's all from me, beautiful people. I'm Chip Huddy. This has been Chip's take home pay and i do hope you found some pay worth taking home as always my friends auf wiedersehen and just remember